0: The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Grace and peace to you this morning. Um, I have a couple things before we get started. Uh, First of all, I was handed this note um, before I got up here, and this comes from Fred Hainsworth and his family. Uh, my family and I would like to thank you for all the cards, letters, phone calls, and visits at a time when it was deeply appreciated, and most importantly, your prayers. How truly grateful I am to have a wonderful church family like you. Your love and support for us has been very much appreciated during this time of loss. Um, thank you, Fred, for that, and, and you're still in our prayers along with your family. Uh, another thing I think uh, God uh, laid on Ron and I as heart, the same thing. I was about to get up and say something about Mike and uh, ask you to do something a little bit different. Um, You know, Mike and Tanya attended here for a while, and um, Tanya's a faithful Christian still in Columbus. Uh, Ron's worked with Mike for years. Mike's not a Christian. He struggled with a lot of different things in his life, and probably a lot of you don't know that story, and and we don't have to go into detail about that here, but... um, Mike's at a place right now where he needs some people to love on him, and, um, you know, a lot of times we come to church and we talk about the things in the Bible and and talk about what we need to do, and we don't know what we need to do. Uh, Here's an opportunity. Um, Mike's at St. David's South in Austin. I'm going to be down there Monday morning and visit with him, and, uh, you know, anything you can do, if you can go visit him, um, just, you know... I know sometimes that's uncomfortable, but just drop in and say hello. It just has to be five minutes, you know, and that can mean a lot to a person. If you can send a card or whatever, um, we don't know, you know, what the fruit of this will be, but here's an opportunity to love on a person uh, who's in desperate need for it right now. So that's my, that's my speech this morning. Um, Luke chapter 9, let's turn there. Luke chapter 9. And I want us to begin reading in verse 28 here. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his glows became dazzling white. And suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. And on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly, a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks, it convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, "You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he is coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit." healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. Well, for the last several weeks, we have traveled with Jesus. We have witnessed his birth. We have witnessed his baptism. We have seen that first miracle he performed. And it's important that when we look at Scripture, that we remember that this is a narrative. We are given a story. And so each of these texts that we come to um, each week and and we look at, uh, they are connected. They are historical events that occur in a linear timeline. And so as we come to the Mount of Transfiguration, we must understand that these events, these stories, do not occur in a vacuum. And so as Peter, James, and John make their way up the mountain with Jesus they have spent time with this man they have experienced his glory they have seen him do amazing things they have seen him do things that are humanly impossible they know that this is not an ordinary individual and over the last several weeks we have traveled the same road with Jesus we have witnessed the glory of Jesus being revealed to us each week we have come to see him more clearly through his baptism and through the miracles he has performed and through other events. And by now, we should have a pretty good idea of who Jesus is and the mission that he's on. And once again, Jesus' glory shines brightly on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the response of his followers, of Peter, James, and John, It might not be what we expect. You see, these disciples, these three individuals, are weighed down with sleep. And when one of them finally does respond, it's not the right response. When we read stories like this, uh, our first uh, response is probably, you know, how can this be? Why don't they get it? Why don't they see what they are supposed to see? And this isn't the only story like this. There are many. The disciples who walked with Jesus heard him teach and saw his miracles. They do not always get it. They have trouble understanding the parables. They don't grasp what it means for Jesus to be called Messiah. They fail to see where this journey is leading them. And I think that these passages should be a wake-up call to us. There are times in life when honest, devout followers of Jesus grow tired or misinterpret something important. But thankfully, we serve a God who comes to our rescue. The voice of God is heard on the Mount of Transfiguration. It is heard to awaken the disciples from their sleep and to guide Peter out of his misunderstanding. God does not abandon these sleepy disciples. He does not leave Peter to his own misguided thoughts. God is there to help them and to guide them along the way. And here's something that we need to hear. And it's probably something that we all know. But I want it to sink in. God is not against us. He is for us. And let me say it again. Our God is for us. He is for us in every way. And this is what we see in this story. When the disciples get it wrong, and they do... God does not let them stay there. He intervenes. He steps into their lives, and he redirects their steps. And we see this over and over again in the Bible. We see it in the story of Abraham. We see it in the story of Israel. We see it in the Gospels. Who is the most prominent disciple in the Gospels? It's Peter. It's the man who walked on water but then quickly sank. It's the disciple who identified Jesus as the Messiah, but was quickly rebuked. It was the bold follower of Jesus who confessed him, but later denied him three times. It was the apostle who wanted to build three dwellings, three tabernacles on the Mount of Transfiguration in order to worship Jesus, Moses, And And this isn't just a little slip-up here. I mean, Peter is going to undo thousands of years of monotheism in one night. He's going to change the nature of their religion with one act. And the story of Peter is a story of God's patience. It's a story of God's grace. Why does God keep walking alongside Peter as he continues to to mess up. It's because God sees Peter for who he will become, not who he is. And this is not something that is only true of Peter. It's true for all of us. We are imperfect. We are not who we are supposed to be. We stumble and we fall from time to time, but God is looking at this picture different than anyone else. He sees potential where others see none. He's working to make us into something great. Our God is for us. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we're told that we are his workmanship. And so God is the artist and we are his work of art. And he's continuing to work on us. He continues to mold us and to shape us. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, a passage that Ron read for us this morning, Paul tells us that this is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens from one degree to another. But there's a catch. Look at what Paul says. He says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so the catch is this. We must keep our eyes fixed on the glory of the Lord. We must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. God wants to help, but too often we're not looking for His help. We think we can do it ourselves. We think think that we can get ourselves out of the jam that we're in. We don't need any help. We think that we can become a better person by trying the latest self-help program. And whatever our problem is, we believe we can fix it. But the truth is, we need God. We are not self-reliant. And if we think that, then we're going to fail. We can become something great, but only with God's help. And the good news is that we serve a God who is eager to step into our lives and to make a difference. The disciples' failure to see this event clearly is only the beginning of the story. Eventually, the, the scales are removed from their eyes, and they witness the true glory of Jesus. And this is a mountaintop moment, both literally and figuratively. Uh, literally, these events take place on the top of a mountain. But mountains, if you read throughout the entire Bible, they have always been significant. They are sort of spiritual places where things happen. And so I'll just give you a few this morning. But at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, he gives what? The Sermon on the Mount. Um, the law was given on Mount Sinai. And so Moses goes up on the mountain. Jerusalem was built on Mount Zion. And, and this mountain later becomes a sign of, of God's promises to come. And so we sing songs like we're mount We're marching to Zion. And so special things happen on mountaintops. And so this is one of the reasons why we use this phrase in a figurative way also. A mountaintop moment is a high point. It's an incredible experience, unlike most others. So it's when you're soaring high. And most of us have had spiritual mountaintop moments in our lives. A lot of times um, this happens for people at college, and so maybe you attended a a Christian college or you were part of a a college uh, church group, and and that was a memorable time in your life, And, and the singing was exceptional, and you were surrounded by Christian friends, and everyone was eager and excited, and you just were uplifted and encouraged at that time. You were on a mountaintop. Maybe your mountaintop moment was a lectureship or a seminar that you attended and the singing was great and the speaker was phenomenal and you just left uplifted and encouraged. Some of you may have even had a mountaintop moment at worship on a Sunday like this and perhaps it was a moving service or you connected with the message that day and whatever the reason, you felt particularly moved and that was a high point for you. But there's one thing about mountaintop moments. Whenever you go up that high, you always have to come back down. Uh, You cannot live in the clouds. Now those moments are important. Those moments help us. They energize us. They encourage us to, to do more and to try harder. We need mountaintop moments. But most of life... Has not lived on a mountain. And I think Luke understood this well. Because right after we have this wonderful story about Jesus, Moses, and Elijah being seen on a mountain in all their glory, we're given another story about coming down off a mountain. And it's sort of the opposite of what we've just heard. And I want you to listen to it again. It reads, on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. On the mountain, Peter, James, and John see the glory of God. They are in the midst of the two greatest religious leaders known to them. They are in the presence of God and God's Son. And it was probably the most incredible thing they had ever seen. It was like the best worship you've ever experienced times a thousand. None of us have had a mountaintop moment like that. But then, they come down the mountain. And when they come down the mountain, they're met by a demon-possessed child who is convulsing. And they now witness one of the, the, probably the ugliest things they've ever seen in their life. And they come face to face with evil. And the text even says they're not strong enough to do anything about it. They can't help the child. And they have to call in reinforcements, they have to seek out Jesus. And this is a picture of life. We come to worship on Sunday, our spirits are lifted, we are encouraged, we are energized. And then we go back out into the world. And there's a stark contrast between Sunday and Monday. On Sunday, we are gathered with the saints. But on Monday, we go out into a world full of sinners. On Sunday, we praise and glorify the God of the universe. But on Monday, we go out into a world who does not know his name. On Sunday... We are on the mountaintop, but on Monday, we're in the valley below. And Sunday and Monday are sometimes worlds apart. But that's not always a bad thing. Because after the disciples come down the mountain, Jesus shows up again. And he heals a boy who is in desperate need of a word from God. We long for mountaintop moments. We love them. We seek after them. But we're called to live in the valley. All the people who need our help live at the bottom of the mountain. It's where the hungry live. It's where the poor live. It's where the sick live. It's where the people who need Jesus live. And it may not be a pretty sight, We may come face to face with evil and sin. We may get beaten and bruised by our surroundings. But this is our mission. We are called to enter into people's brokenness and to make their lives better. We are called to overcome the terrible effects of sin that we see every day. We are called to introduce people to Jesus. They may not know his name or who he is, but they need him in his life. They need to be led to the mountaintop so that they can see the glory of the Lord and so that their lives might be transformed. Real ministry does not happen on the mountaintop, it happens in the streets, and it happens in the valleys. It takes place where people are broken and people are hurting. And that's not always the place where we want to live. We'd rather be on the mountain. But it's the place where Jesus wants us. And it's the place where we can make a real difference. It's not an easy calling, but it's a necessary one. In the future, one day, We will all gather on Mount Zion and we will worship the Lord. But until then, we must live in the trenches and share the grace of God with everyone we meet. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed by your grace and mercy in our own lives. We're amazed by your patience with us and how you've transformed us and called us to be like your son. Father, we live in a world full of sinners, a world that is sometimes ugly and and evil and dark and all kinds of things. And we know what you would have us to do. We know that this is what you want us to do, that you want us to go into this world and that you want us, us to help transform it the way that you have transformed our own lives to minister to those who are hurting to help those who are poor and sick to speak of Jesus to everyone we meet to lead them to the mountain help us to do this it's sometimes a struggle and we're sometimes overwhelmed but Give us the courage we need. We're so thankful for your son who led the way and who gave his life for us on the cross. It's in his name we pray, amen.